welcome to the Present in the Pain podcast, a weekly show that looks at the experience of pregnancy and child loss through the lens of the Catholic faith. I'm your host, Eileen Tully. This is the Present in the Pain podcast, and I'm Eileen Tully, and I'm here with my husband, Patrick, for the fourth in our series of the seven sorrows of St. Joseph. And today we're going to talk about that fourth sorrow, which is Joseph hearing a prediction of suffering. Um, Just as a reminder, the book that we're using to um, reflect on these sorrows and to sort of put ourselves in Joseph's place with them is called Befriending St. Joseph. It's by Deacon Greg Condra, and I will put a link to the show, to the book in the show notes uh, at the bottom, but the subtitle is Finding Faith, Hope, and Courage in the Seven Sorrows Devotion. And we just really felt like we wanted to speak to the fathers of loss, because if if we mothers think that there are not many resources to support us through the experience of child loss, there are much fewer resources available for fathers, right? Yeah. No, um be stoic. Like that's about the best you're going to find, I think, in terms of resources, uh, stiff upper lip and, and all of that. And I think, um, our hope with these, uh, podcasts is really just to break that open and, and really, um, share my own experience in hopes that other fathers know you're, you're not in it alone. And, uh, hopefully this gives you some frame of reference to, to get through it. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It can feel very isolating. And I know that when I shared my own experience with mothers, they are often very relieved to know that they have been feeling the same way or having the same thoughts. And it can just it can just feel comforting to know that we're not alone because the experience of grief is so all encompassing. And it's really just something that we we have to just stumble through and, and navigate on our own if we can't find somebody to um, just to walk alongside us. So my hope is that here we are walking alongside both mothers and fathers in this. And in doing so, we're also walking alongside the Holy Family and Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. So the fourth sorrow of Joseph, of St. Joseph, is paralleled by the um, the presentation or Simeon's prophecy for our Blessed Mother. And that would have been her first sort of sorrow. Um, but basically, um, if we can think about it, um, Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus to the temple after their... Um, period of um, the, the woman had to be have a period of cleansing away from just ceremonially away from the temple but now that's over and as is custom they are bringing their firstborn to present him to God at the temple and while they're there they meet Anna and Simeon who are both um, people who are prophets and uh, they recognize the Savior. They recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as this baby that they're presenting. And Simeon has a prophecy for Our Lady during that time. So why don't you just share a little bit about um, just your thoughts about this uh, 
it's not a sword of sorrow, but the sorrow of St. Joseph and how you related to it. Sure. So really, I think um, the the common themes through these sorrows is, I think, one uh, that any father who has experienced suffering and loss um, of a child can relate to. And and this next meditation is no exception. Um, But I think this is... um, maybe more close in the experience of losing a child for this reason. So in the idea that they're going to the temple for the presentation, uh, a rite of passage, uh, you know, uh, fulfilling the, the law. Uh, and we know that Joseph and Mary were, were very intent on, on both uh, the letter and spirit of the law. Right. So that, so they're, they're fulfilling their, their duty as Jews, to do the presentation, but it's a joyful occasion. It's, it's It's like a a baptism would be for us. Exactly. And, and, uh, so for them, um, you know, they're kind of in the, I I believe it's eight days after Jesus was born. So, you know, they had that, uh, time to get into their daily routines with a newborn and, uh, all of that. So then, um, there's the, the challenge of kind of having to, uh, uproot everything that, they'd establish in terms of their daily routine to make the journey, um, to the temple. And, you know, you can imagine that, that, uh, Joseph is questioning the, the prudence of that. Like, is it too soon? Am I pushing, uh, Mary and the baby too hard to make this journey? And, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, certainly once they get to the temple, um, there's, there's uh, a feeling of joy that, that, uh, they now get to present their new newborn son. Yeah, and actually that presentation is something that we meditate on in the joyful mysteries of the rosary. So we know it was a joyful moment for father and mother as they are coming to Jerusalem to the temple to present their child and to to have this firstborn son and to offer him, you know, back to God and dedicate him to God as they their laws prescribe for them to do. So in they come. Yeah, and and uh, I'm just going to quote um, the the full reading in terms of the interaction with Simeon once they get to the temple um, is found in Luke chapter two verses twenty two through thirty five. Um, but uh, upon entering the temple and and uh, encountering Simeon, uh, he takes the baby into his arms uh, and blessed God, saying. Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. So, uh, really, the the thing I wanted to reference is the fact that Simeon was hanging around into old age because he was told that he would... uh, lay eyes on the, the savior before his death. So, um, that was, you know, the full context and, and the fulfillment of prophecy, um, for him to be able to see the savior in that way. So, uh, then, you know, he, he drops the bomb, uh, on Joseph and Mary, um, in foretelling them that, uh, Mary's, her heart will be pierced, um, he says, and you yourself, a sword will pierce to Mary. And, and so Joseph's hearing this in the context of what should be a joyful event. And now, uh, he, he understands certainly his own, uh, 
visions from God in his dream. Um, certainly, uh, Mary shared with him, you know, uh, her apparitions of the angel foretelling her, uh, that she was going to have the son and, and he was going to be, um, the savior. The savior. Yeah. So, so all of this is coming together, but now like, wait a minute, suffering, like, like talking about pulling the rug out from underneath you, like it really just doesn't fit. And, and you're starting to think joyfully of the future and, and, um, life with this newborn baby. And, uh, all of a sudden, like now it's going to be hard. Now it's, there's going to be suffering. Um, and you can appreciate that Joseph didn't know what to make of it. Um, and, and so that to me, like resonates, uh, extremely close to what I felt at news that, that, uh, our twin daughters were suffering with, um, their condition. Uh, so Eileen and I were just talking, um, you know, and really kind of putting the pieces together because, uh, for me, the exact moment that kind of fits uh, in the context of, of what's happening during the presentation in the temple was um, the ultrasound. So the, the first ultrasound that we had had with our twin girls, when we learned that they had twin to twin transfusion syndrome uh, and that one of the twins was growing um, dramatically faster and larger than the other twin. So um, until that point we were just excited and, and, uh, we we knew that it was twins and, you know, for us, it was just, uh, kind of going through the motions of, of, uh, everything that's wonderful about that first ultrasound. Um, yeah, the, we, we, we couldn't wait to find out if they were girls or boys. Like we knew that they were identical, right? So we, we had, we did have one very early ultrasound and saw that they were identical, but here now we're at like the 20 week ultrasound and we hadn't had one in between there. So it was our, you know, going in and all our friends were like, oh, let us know. We can't wait to find out. And so, um, yeah, so getting that, having that ultrasound and learning, we didn't even end up coming away from there learning if they were girls or boys. We just learned this devastating news that they were very sick and dying and, and would die if we didn't have the surgery that we had to have, like immediately and book immediately and... Uh, yeah, it was that. That was the rug pulled out from under us for sure. Yeah, and and then you know to compound it, it was also uh, the absolute necessity for Eileen to be on bed rest. You know, from that point forward. So um, now, you know, Eileen's suffering, um, and she can't do anything. She's on bed rest, uh, and now we got to scramble um, as quickly as possible to get to specialists to help us with. Uh, this emergency surgery to try and save these girls' lives. So, yeah, like the big rug pulled out from underneath you. And, um, yeah. you know, all I could do was try and support them as, as best I could. But in the grand scheme of things, like certainly I can take care of the housework and um, do everything I can to support Eileen on bed rest and uh, take care of our other uh, three young boys at the time and, and all of that. But, like I can't fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, I think that for me is really where, um, this meditation, uh, is powerful in the reliance on faith. So, you know, at several points during this meditation, but I'm going to quote one specifically, um, and here in the meditation, it's in the context of, uh, Joseph worrying that, that 
it's too soon for them to be traveling, uh, to have made the journey. Um, and he, you know, the meditation is, uh, projecting onto Joseph that he's, you know, starting to think through like, uh, was it too soon? Is this too much? And, and that sort of thing. And, and, uh, then he reminds himself, just trust, just trust that the Lord will provide. And I think, um, that's all you can really do. Right. Like, um, and, and I'll say candidly, I, I, my heart goes out to people who don't have faith because when you're facing something like this and there is no sense of faith, I don't, I don't know like how you have anything to lean on. Right. Like if you don't recognize, and for me, like this was a constant thought through the whole thing. They're Jesus or they're, uh, God's children first. Yeah. They, they are his children. Right. Right. And, uh, we can't doubt that he, uh, doesn't want the absolute best for them. So whatever pain, whatever hardship, um, we have to face, we trust and we pray, um, that it's, it's for the greater honor and glory of God in some way. And it's, uh, at times impossible to see that. Um, and Mm -hmm. I can certainly understand and respect that that may not be front of mind, um, especially in crisis situations, but, um, that, that's what got me through. Like, um, it, 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 I couldn't do anything to fix it. Um, but yeah, I, it was like it was like we we didn't have any other option but to rely on him, and I think that's one of the that's one of the hardest things about this experience is that like any the the fact is we never really are in control, but we love to have the illusion of control, right? Like we really we have such relative safety and. You know, like in our uh, just medical things, and there, you know, you don't hear often about child, child loss or or complications. Or, but but for those of us who have been through it, we know for sure how often it happens. But really, like no one likes to talk about it, and so you think, oh, it can't be, it won't, that won't happen to us, or we shouldn't think about that. And we, you know, we sort of just. We, because of the safety that we have, we we have a little bit of a, an illusion of having some control over the situation. And then when something like this happens, that illusion is just stripped away, right? There's just no, you can't do anything. And like you said, like for a man, for the husband and for the father, I mean, it's hard enough for the woman. She's just trying to get through the situation and thinking of her child, but I know that Patrick loves to, like, if there's a problem, he loves to just figure out how to make it right, how to fix it. And, you know, you are just forced to observe or forced to just let things unfold as they were going to. And I mean, we, of course, we did everything that we could to help them. And we did go get that surgery and we did take care of the boys and I did go on child on bed rest. And, you know, we did everything that we was in our power. We scrambled and made sure it happened, but, um, it was not something that we could control be from there on. (laughs) 
Do you feel distanced from God since the death of your child? Do you wish that there was someone you could talk to who understood the pain of this unique kind of loss? The Present in the Pain community is an online group of Catholic women who have experienced pregnancy and child loss. Come and find the support and understanding that you need to heal. Visit EileenTully.com and click on Community. The only way to move forward is to put it in God's hands. And um, for any uh, type A uh, male, I think that's contrary to our nature, but also uh, a necessary step. And, and that's where I think there is an opportunity for suffering husbands and fathers to, to grow in faith, right? Like it's all well and good when everything's uh, mm. going smooth and easy right. um, and, and you're in control of everything. But, you know, in a situation like this where you have no control and you have to rely completely on God, um, that is an opportunity to grow. And uh, there's nothing easy about it. And, and um, hats off to, to all those who are able to do it. But I think that's in situations like this, that's what you're called to do. Right. Well, in St. James, the book of James, the first chapter, it says to consider it all joy whenever we face trials, which is just, it seems ridiculous. But he's not being sort of like masochistic with that. Like he, he really means... Like he goes on to say that the testing of our faith develops perseverance for us and the perseverance will see us through like we could finish the race and will see us through to the day of Christ Jesus. And so if we if we think that think about our trials and our sufferings as opportunities for us to grow in just what you were saying, that faith and and to allow it to be like a muscle that we're strengthening and you know if the the interesting thing is that just even having come through lent it's a good reminder that those the opportunities for us to do that voluntarily like the the to suffer voluntarily like those little penances and things that we can do during lent that's almost like going to the gym or like you know doing our our suffering exercises cuz cuz it is like a muscle that needs to be strengthened that that perseverance muscle or that faith muscle, right? So when we, and we're not very good in society at suffering. So when we have the opportunity to allow ourselves to suffer voluntarily, trusting that God can use it to grow us in, in faith or to grow us in even like those little acts of self-denial and in detachment from like our clinging to the things of the world or clinging to control like those those little voluntary sufferings are are tools that can help us to be ready to face these involuntary ones so uh, that was not something that I had trained for before unfortunately before this experience but it is something that I wish that I had done more training for and to embrace some suffering a little more willingly beforehand. Right. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm uh, again reminded of, of the sympathy that I have 
for those people facing uh, a crisis of life and death, uh, especially of a child, and the temptation to uh, kind of be angry and bitter uh, mm-hmm. of the circumstance. Uh, but I would challenge anybody in that situation to go read the book of Job. Like, <laughs> that's the model that, that I think uh, – we should have in terms of uh, our, our path of faith. And and that's such an extreme example, but like here's somebody who loved God and was devout and faithful his whole life and, and uh, calamity upon calamity, like uh, destruction, uh, you know, lost all his wealth, like suffering upon suffering. And, and he remained steadfast in faith and love for God. So yeah, and, and not only that but like the the amazing thing is that at the beginning of that book, of course Job is we don't know if Job was actually a real person, but it was like one of those books that was written that you know people used to assume that if something bad happened to someone it must be because they sinned or their parents sinned or somebody must have been committing some sins to have had this happen, but the picture that's painted at the beginning of that story is that Satan comes to God and says, like, give me someone to test, right? And so it would not have happened. None of that would have happened if God had not allowed it. And he and he has, that's the same way it is. Like we talked about that control, that's an illusion, but God is in control. He does have the control to begin with, and he always did have it. And nothing happened. I, I found comfort in that after our daughter Bridget died because... We, we did have that in utero surgery with the twins, and Fiona, our, one of our twins, died the day after the surgery. But then I went stayed on bed rest, and I went on to deliver our daughter Bridget um, prematurely, um, and she lived in the NICU for a while, and then she caught a fluke, like after all that, she caught a fluke, like an infection, from the ventilator and died from pneumonia just in the NICU, like not even really related to the condition that she had, but just related to her prematurity and her being on a ventilator. So, um, and it just felt like after all that, like she survived this and survived that and survived the surgery and was looking great. And then, and then she died of a stupid bacterial infection. So, um, you know, there was that temptation to think like God had maybe looked away, you know, like maybe he, he didn't notice the bacteria slipping in that ventilator or whatever, you know, like that he that he wasn't in control. But it was comforting to to remember, you know, I have, it's the kind of thing we have to tell ourselves the truth. We have to speak the truth to ourselves about and God gives it to us in his word and, and remind us that he is in control, that like not a sparrow falls from the sky and all the hairs on our head are numbered and all of our days are numbered before one of them came to be, as David says in the Psalms. So he wasn't looking away and that didn't slip past him. He was in control and Bridget's days were numbered before one of them came to be. So it's not like, oops, she caught this infection and God didn't notice or, or allow it. He did. And we all that we're left to do is to trust that he had, he has a plan and he had a reason for it. Yeah. So, um, Really, just in closing uh, on this meditation, I'll go to the the prayer um, that Deacon Kendra has in the book at the end of uh, the fourth meditation. 
because I think it really does sums up everything we've talked about. Um, but just to uh, take a couple of, of verses of the prayer, suffering Joseph, I can only imagine the anguish and sorrow you felt on hearing the words of the holy and aged Simeon, how you worried for the family you loved and how you wondered what God had in store. Steadfast Joseph, you confronted the uncertainties of the future with faith, with courage, and with trust, surrendering to God's holy will, and walking a difficult path with gratitude. You understood that God had chosen you to help raise his son, and you undertook that role with quiet strength and joyful hope. So good, yes. So um, that's everything that we have on this week. We have three more sorrows coming up to finish out our series on the seven sorrows of Joseph. But if you have found this podcast helpful, would you please leave a review or a comment or a rating in your favorite podcast app or subscribe to it? Um, All of those things help other people to be able to find the podcast when they're searching, if they're searching for Catholic miscarriage or something like that, then it comes up in their search if it has more reviews and ratings. So I would really appreciate it and it would help other people if you could take a second to do that. Finally, before we close, I just want to share that uh, within my community, we'll be having our second of four quarterly group retreats for grieving mothers. So um, that is an online video retreat, and you can find more about that by going to EileenTully.com. But our group retreat actually starts next week. So um, all you have to do is join the online video retreat and complete the first lesson by next Thursday, which I believe is April 20th. And we'll have our first online video chat live chat about that lesson together so if you're interested in um, just getting some practical tools for healing from the pain of child loss and walking through a retreat with some other women to find encouragement and support i would love to see you there that's all we have for today so until next week i'm eileen i'm patrick god bless you all we're praying for you and i hope you can pray for us and we're so thankful you're here Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please consider hitting subscribe and leaving a review so that other people are better able to find it. Also, if you're interested in becoming a supporter of the show in any amount, it would be helpful for maintaining the podcast hosting and production costs. Thanks for prayerfully considering that.